0: hello all my beautiful people it is time once again for another amazing episode of if you give a dad a podcast so on this week's episode i actually have a another wrestler his name is the unbreakable bad boy justin lee um i've kind of got a theme going on here because over the next few weeks i'll have a couple of different wrestlers that are going to be at a show that I will be attending on May 21st in Siloam Springs, Arkansas. It is the Crown Championship Wrestling Show. So I thought I'd bring a few of these guys on here to kind of talk about themselves and let us get to know them a little better. That way, in case you want to go to this show, you can do so. The one that I did go to a few months ago was a blast. I had a great time. And it sounds like um, the last time they were in Siloam it was an amazing show as well. So I can't wait to go back to that. The guy that I had on this week was an amazing storyteller. We had a lot of fun talking. Had a lot of stories to tell. And I only got through maybe about half of the questions that I had lined up for him because he just had so much to tell. And I can't wait to have him come back on. So this is a pretty exciting episode. And I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So... Um, If you're as ready as I am, then let's get this show on the road.
1: If you give a dad a podcast. Hey, Dad.
0: All right, before I get started, I just want to talk about R&L Designs for all of your custom hat, cup, shirt needs, even key fobs. If you need any of this stuff customized, go to R&L Designs. They have everything that you could ever want or need. They have some of the best prices that I've seen. They have some of the best stuff that I've seen. Um, Just go over to their Facebook page, and that's R&L Designs. I'll put a link to them in my show notes. Also, if you would like to get a hold of them, you can reach them at randldesigns19 at gmail.com. Once again, that's randldesigns19 at gmail.com. For all of your custom needs, hit them up today. Give them a like, give them a follow. All right, everybody. Today, I have the unbreakable Justin Lee with me. How are you doing today, man? Doing spectacular. It's awesome. I'm glad to have you on here. It's uh, been a little bit of a work in progress, but I'm glad that we finally got here.
1: We made it. That's the important part.
0: That is the important part. So, as we're recording this, we're both uh, under a tornado watch. So... <laughs> This is going to be kind of interesting, I think.
1: This this could be our final will and testament. When they <laughs> when they find this one day in the wreckage, upload it for us. Tell the world we were here.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, what I've got, I've just got some you know normal questions on here uh, to sure. just kind of go through to kind of get to know you a little bit better. This is a new podcast. This is I think episode seven that I'm recording right now so excellent you're coming kind of on the front end of this and everything so this is going to be really hey, fun.
1: great trailblazers I love
0: it's, it exactly we've already kind of talked about this but now where is it that you come from
1: well uh Broken Arrow Oklahoma is where I've called home for many many years my hometown uh for those for, I guess if you're listening you're going who is this guy why is he being interviewed I am a professional <laughs> wrestler yes uh, been a professional wrestler since 2001, licensed in the state of Oklahoma, okay. uh, Arkansas, Texas, all over, Kansas. And yeah, they used to call me the Broken Arrow bad boy uh, before right. I was the unbreakable bad boy. So yeah, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma was my home. Still is actually, just moved back to Broken Arrow uh, this year. So oh, I'm cool. back in Broken Arrow, got a new house here. So didn't move back in with mom and dad, so don't worry. <laughs> Yeah, Although given be. the state of the economy, that might not have been a bad idea. <laughs> hey, it's smart, you know. <laughs> What's yes. question number one you got for me? Well, I've
0: got uh well, I've got like your biggest influence and stuff on here. Um, you know, where did
1: you train at? Things like that. Um great. Yeah. So well, you, my you want to know my secret origin story? Uh I work. grew up in the nineties watching pro wrestling on TV like all of America was at the time in the mid nineties, it was just the hottest thing in the world. Uh-huh. Uh, everybody was watching Monday Night Raw, Monday Nitro. Here I am a very impressionable teenage kid. Of course I got into it just like everybody else. Only I'm a, I'm a very analytical brain kind of person. Um, I, I don't just watch something and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I watch something and I want to understand it. I want to break it apart. I want to know how it works. So like a lot of kids at the time, I start wrestling in my backyard with my buddies. Right. Uh, j- jumping up on a trampoline and, you know, trying to imitate what we saw on TV, all the things they tell you not to do, of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, I was doing them. Uh, only when I did them, I wanted to do them better than everybody else. So I organized my backyard wrestling into as legitimate a looking backyard wrestling organization as you'll ever see. It was very scripted. Everybody had a character. You had times, you know, I I had the show scripted top to bottom every all all these kids were finding out about us. And this is back before this is we're talking 90s Internet. Okay, so we're not talking social media where it is today, where I could post something and a thousand people could see it in an hour this was back when everything moved very slowly so people would find out about the legend of this backyard wrestling (laughs) and want to seek it out and find it before you know it within a couple years we've got radio stations showing up for our events we've got uh maxim magazine came out and photographed us the local news did a expose on the dangerous world of backyard wrestling. We were, of course, the featured guys on it. We drew a lot of attention. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm telling you, this thing was very well organized. We were selling VHS tapes online. uh, And, you know, looking back, it was probably a bunch of creepy old dudes buying videos of, you know, teenage boys (laughs) wrestling. But I'd like to believe they were fans and they just enjoyed our wrestling. We'll just Uh, leave it at fans. (laughs) Yeah. But, I mean, we were selling 100 tapes or something. I mean, I was making some money off this thing that's Uh, caught the attention of a local promoter who was having trouble drawing more than a hundred people to his shows and said, Hey, this guy's drawn 30, 40 guys just to, you know, to his shows Uh between the the wrestlers themselves and the outside people that were coming in to watch this thing. He goes, if I put this guy in my show and let's say he just brings 20 of those people to my show, we're going to make a lot of money. We're going to make a hundred bucks off this kid selling tickets. Yeah. Uh, Just added him So, I had just turned 18 this was 2001 mm-hmm. and i get contacted by a local guy's name is rick viper he was the ring announcer for the local what was called opw oklahoma pro wrestling okay they brought me in and um my first night there they said all right do you know how to get beat up and i'm like well yeah of course i've been backyard wrestling i can get beat up better than anybody so great here's what we're gonna have you do we're gonna announce is hey look we got the local backyard wrestling champion uh sitting ringside and at some point during this match, there's going to be a cue. You're going to run in the ring and try to attack the champion. He's going to turn around, no sell you, pick you up, and throw you through a table. I said that sounds awesome, <laughs> and of course, I did it. The guy, the promoter, pulled me aside. I said, if "You did good with this. I'll tell you what, give me a thousand dollars, join the wrestling school, and I'll teach you how to wrestle." I said, "Okay, here's my thousand dollars." <laughs> mom i'm not going to college like we planned i'm gonna take a couple of years off i just gave all my college money to this uh professional wrestling promoter and uh yeah i'm gonna be a, i'm gonna be a big superstar one day uh how, how did they take that um you know my mom and dad were always very supportive uh-huh. my dad said hey well maybe we could take one community college class you know something we and i said all right dad give me give me uh six months of doing this and then i'll i'll take one community college class so compromise that was yeah yeah, um, and then the next week uh, they they announced me as being for Broken Arrow at the pro wrestling show. Now keep in mind, I'm I'm not trained. Mm-hmm. I'm just a guy at this yeah. point. But they knew that if they put me in the show, twenty people would buy tickets just to see me. All my my loyal uh, back and yeah. wrestling guys would all come watch me. Uh, well, the next week the Tulsa World said, "Hey, we we have this new section we're doing on different communities, trying to feature somebody in each community. We got a Broken Arrow section." Can we do a story on this broken arrow bad boy kid? So here I am, you know, just starting the business, already got involved in a main event, put through a table. Next yeah. week, Tulsa World does a story on me. The next week, uh, that prom- promotion I was working for, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig comes out there to do a spot. And so I'm backstage with Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig. I'm living the dream. You know yeah. what I mean? It, this is, I'm three weeks into the business. I'm like, man, at, at this trajectory, I'm going to be main eventing WrestleMania this year. I just know it. <laughs> <laughs> yes uh you know i had to get trained first You know, right but, right <laughs> you know here i am undersized uh full of my own ego 100, 160 pound 18 year old kid and i think i've just made it I'm, I'm gonna be the biggest star in the history of wrestling
0: and i mean from what i can tell you've uh you've done quite a bit i actually looked you up on uh Oklahoma fans and yeah, you yeah. have quite an extensive um career in wrestling uh you've, you've wrestled in quite a few places and uh, you've held quite a few championships yeah. as well from what i can tell
1: well you stick around 20 years you get around a little bit uh yeah this like i said i 2001 was the first year i was professionally licensed so you go back to you know four or five years of backyard wrestling that doesn't count but yeah you know 2001 i officially became a pro in my first debut match september 2001 uh which just happened to be 10 days after the world trade center oh wow uh, so yeah i debut um this is weeks after my, my 19th birthday or a week. I know that actually the day after my 19th birthday, I debut, uh-huh. uh, I'd been training for about three, four months, but the deal was I wasn't just training like a regular training student was training uh, two nights a week, two hours of training uh-huh. was what you paid for. Right. They, uh, they liked what they saw. And so they put me in what you would call a uh, express program. So I did the regular class, and then this guy named Brent Albright would come in, who was just fresh back from um, doing some work in Japan, doing some work in California. He was this stud from Tulsa who could outwork everybody. Uh, And if anybody was going to make it in the business from Tulsa, Oklahoma, it was going to be him. He was a super athlete, just super dedicated. And he would come in, and me and my uh, training partner, Kenny Campbell, who became the outcast Kenny Campbell – uh, he would beat us up, stretch us, put us through the, the ringer, work us out till midnight. I mean, we were drenched in sweat and, we, you know, he's, he's a 200 pound guy. We're a couple of 160 pound kids. Right. Uh, he, he beat the snot out of us, um, in a good way, <laughs> yeah. because it was that level of training that by the time I debuted, I had probably done more training than most guys do in their first five or six years of wrestling. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and this guy was very Japanese style oriented, very, you know, at the time, Chris Benoit type style. of. You yeah. Know, you had to learn all the holds, learn all the counters, and put them together in spots and run the same spot over and over and over again for two hours straight till you were just literally your body couldn't go anymore. Um, that level of training, I credit for being why I was successful. I didn't have a body yet, but I could bump and sell better than anybody else. And that's really all you need in this business. If you can bump and sell, and you can present yourself as that character right. you'll go a lot further than if you can do every top rope move there is well then you can tell a story and that's what really you know is intriguing
0: you know if well, you can it, it sell then you can then you can tell that story
1: My, michael PSAs had the great quote he goes you know i made a really good career out of being able to bump sell and i had a punch me face uh <laughs> and I, justin lee had a punch me face i was i looked like Uh, Walmart brand Jeff Hardy with my long blonde hair dyed blonde uh, shaved underneath back in a ponytail had the earring hanging out had the sideburns and I was cocky as could be (laughs) I had the cockiness all over my face and everywhere I went they hated me because the little girls loved me they they would scream like I was Justin Bieber which Uh made all the guys in the crowd hate me even more and want to boot. you know who doesn't want to see a a, a boy band get beat up right so it's It was the best possible combination. I remember the first time I worked out of Tulsa was in Oklahoma City at the Daryl Starbird Car Show. And this was a big arena. This wasn't some small, you know, we were in the Ford Center at the time is what it was called. And I'm not saying every seat was full, you know, this was probably a thousand, two thousand people there. And man, did they want to see me get beat up? And they got it because I was wrestling Brent. Uh, And man, he beat me up for that crowd real bad. I remember I lost a, a chunk of my tongue part of my tooth and blood gushing out my nose, uh, by the end of the match. And I loved it. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. I, I couldn't wait to do it again.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, whenever it's something that you love, it doesn't matter how it makes you feel. That's just there. You have to do it.
1: And, oh, I, uh, I had a passion and you had to, you have to have a passion in this business because it is mentally tough. Yes. Um, it is it is not a it's not a business most people that's so i i'm a flash forward 20 years later I, I train people now the way brent used to train me okay. and when i train people you know it's it, it's just guaranteed for every 10 guys you have come through that door only one of those guys is going to be here in six months
0: yeah well i mean it's, it's just a, not
1: not everybody's gonna make it
0: yeah i mean it's a it's a very um grueling process i mean it's not like uh yes you might be landing on a little bit maybe an inch of padding or something but at the end of the day there's plywood under there and that stuff
1: hurts yeah it, it's not a trampoline it, <laughs> no, it's you know it's, there's no there's softer there. there there are spots in the ring that, that hurt a little less than the other spots but yeah that's literally it it just hurts a little less so No, there's not a spot in the ring that feels comfy and like you're laying it on your bed or, or your trampoline or anything like that right. it all hurts yeah. um and, and essentially what when we Go put someone through training what we teach them to do is ignore years and years of evolution that their body has gone through to say how how to stop yourself from falling and how to protect yourself when you fall mm-hmm. the way that you you would think you know you, you try to put your hands down and you try to you know m- make the fall to your side or something like that and, and what we right. teach in wrestling is hit as much of your body at once as you can it will hurt but it will hurt less yep. it'll spread the pain out over your body. And essentially, you're simulating a car wreck uh, okay. over and over again. And you, may, I mean, if you've ever been in a car wreck, I mean, everybody's usually had a fender bender or something. And you go, oh, man, my neck really hurt for a week or a couple weeks after that. Or you know, maybe for the rest of your life, your, your back has a little stiffness to it. Yeah. Imagine doing that every weekend to where your body just normalizes that type of injury. And that's what we do.
0: Yeah, um, so I had a, a fan of mine who sent me in an email. They knew that I was going to have some wrestlers on the show and everything. And one of the things they asked me is, "What's the best topical cream that you can use for pain?" In,
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I wrestlers were poor. You know, we take what yeah. we can get. Whatever they got right. selling at the Dollar Tree. Yeah. Uh, generally speaking, though, you know, you just you, you you rub some dirt on it and you move on. You know, you just keep going. Know, as I get older, what I'm learning is, you know, that I have some, uh, those little massage things I'll lay on, you know, while I'm sitting on the couch watching TV or something. Like well, the sometimes help time. me out. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, those <laughs> gimmicks you buy at the fair and nine oh, yeah. times out of 10, they're rip off, you know, but I bought a few that actually work pretty good, uh, especially the heating ones. I like heat. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But going back to 2001, so here I am. I'm, I'm a cocky, young, arrogant guy in Oklahoma thinking, all right, it's time to conquer the world.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but this is, again, this is a different time in wrestling than what you see now. The, the indie wrestling scene, what every, everywhere you went was very protective. This was still what we would call territory days. Okay. Um, you know, If more than one promoter was trying to run in the same area, generally speaking, you had your guys, they you had his guys, and everybody hated each other like we were motorcycle gangs or something, right? Right. Uh and so like if we go do a show in Kansas we were pissing somebody off we you know there was some Kansas guy who was going to be mad unless you booked him you know then he'd, he would be you know suddenly he would defect real quick but if you didn't they showed up and tried to ruin your show or try to get your show torn down or or you know called the city and, and a bomb threat or something right this stuff happened all the time when I first started I, I remember being in some fights <laughs> uh, and again I'm 160 pounds, so I'm useless in a (laughs) fight. But I I I, was—I started getting bigger uh, around this time. Somebody taught me how to go to the gym, and I started putting on a little bit of size, uh, and I started looking a little more like an athlete than I was just some pretty boy, boy band guy. Yeah. Um, And so my first big break or my first big opportunity came the Southern States Super Eight tournaments. So back then, this is early 2000s, 2002. Mm-hmm. The big deal was to have these super eight tournaments, uh, Japan. They started in Japan. They made it to the Northeast where you would bring in just eight guys who who worked that light, heavyweight, cruiserweight, high-flying, fast-paced style somewhere. You knew you were going to see some exciting entertainment guy in Oklahoma that I was working for was one to put one on. And he wanted to have guys from Kansas, guys from Texas, guys from Oklahoma, you know, just the Southern states, Arkansas. Um, and they picked me to win this thing. And it was a huge oh. opportunity, huge advantage, uh huge, win- I mean, for me to, to win this thing was a major deal at the time. Uh, sold the TV or the rights to some tape distributors, got my name out there a little bit, made people aware of who I was, at least in indie wrestling, right. um, enough to where I get a call from fairly big promotion in Arlington, Texas. They, uh, they invite me and my training partner outcast up to have what they called a dark match because mm-hmm. they literally would film for TV, uh, local affiliate, but they were seen all over dallas and pretty big tv market to be seen in um i get there found out my match isn't going to be televised but if we do what they want we, we give them a good show they'll bring us back uh-huh. and so they say hey you guys got five minutes don't go over well me and kenny we already have this match planned out right so we just try to right. fast forward the speed of the match to where it no longer even really makes any sense we're just you know uh, yeah. it, it looks very lucha libre We end up going seven, get to the back. We thought we'd just have this great match. Crowd liked it. Guy goes, hey, I told you five, you went seven. We're not going to be able to use you in the future. Thanks. your no. Bye. Oh,
0: no. I learned a lesson that day. Yeah.
1: Wrestling is not about wrestling for yourself. If you're working as part of a show, Uh you have to make sure you understand what the writer of that show, the person in charge of that show, wants from you, and make sure you give him that vision. If you don't understand his vision, it's not about your vision. Learned yeah. that lesson the hard way that day, but lesson stuck with me. Sometimes we got to learn it the hard way. Uh, didn't make that mistake ever again.
0: <laughs> wow, <laughs> that that is a tough lesson to learn right there.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, anyway, I, you know, I, I became kind of a as as my the generation that trained me started to kind of retire out and age out of the business. Mm-hmm. I sort of took more of a leadership role in Oklahoma okay uh, became kind of the 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 locker room you know mentor to a lot of people even though i'd only been in the business five or six years yeah again a lot of the a lot of the pre because the business was so guarded there wasn't a lot of people coming in at the time so you know the same crew stuck around i end up being the kind of the the elder statesman as it were uh for a long time sort of the guardian the gatekeeper of wrestling
0: mm-hmm. in this
1: state you had to if I said, you know, I didn't like you or, or this kid was dangerous, promoters listen to me. Huh. Uh, I ended up doing that for a few years, um, kind of developed a reputation. I wasn't well-liked by a lot of people. Part of that was the, the, the training I had. My, uh, my mentor was a guy named Rocco Valentino. Okay. Uh, Rocco was a fairly big deal. Um, he was one of the top promoters in Oklahoma, one of the most talented guys you never heard of uh because he was too tiny he was too small but even the WWF gave him some tryouts he he worked some shows for the um for them everybody recognized he was super talented he just wasn't six feet tall so right they weren't gonna ever put him on TV um he taught me a lesson though he goes you know Justin you're you're a smaller guy but here's the thing if you act and you believe you're a star it will force people to either believe you're a star hate your guts or both Um, but nobody's going to believe you're a star if you don't believe you're a star. And that led to me sometimes presenting myself as having a bad ego as being a little bit, uh, over the top in real life, not just as my character. Yeah. Uh, you call it little man syndrome, call it what you will, (laughs) but it, it, it also worked for me because promoters knew, Hey, give Justin what he wants. Uh, Justin will fight you on this stuff, and I'm not suggesting this is the way to do it by, by any means anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it worked for me at the time uh, because a lot of promoters decided, "Hey, this kid's got it. He's got the it factor. He, he can do it." And He goes out there that, and he convinces the crowd, and I was I was talented. I'm not saying I wasn't talented uh, that I or that I wasn't deserving, but I certainly let my ego like make me feel bigger than than I actually was got me booked in a lot of places, got me a lot of championship belts. Um but what I was finding is getting to 2008, 2009, I've been in the business, you know, going on a decade, I had yet to have my big break. But I was best friends with this guy, Max McGurk. Now Max was this grandson of Leroy McGurk. Leroy okay. was the most famous wrestling promoter in the history of Oklahoma before Bill Watts. Uh A legitimate legend at both the college and professional levels of wrestling. Uh, Leroy went blind early on, and so it kind of ended his real wrestling career. And I I say he was legitimately a NCAA championship wrestler. Uh, He had a daughter, uh, Mike McGurk. Now, you might remember Mike McGurk if you ever watched any 80s or 90s WWF wrestling. Uh She was the female ring announcer in the secret tuxedo okay uh she's a video game from them in the early (laughs) 90s okay uh she yeah if there's the famous ones or rick rooney would always try to mess with her she was kind of lillian garcia before lillian Garcia. yeah she she was part of the wwf for several years became a ring announcer anyways max was her son so max and i we lived these kind of parallel lives. never met each other uh we went to the same college worked for the same companies both professional wrestling companies and in legitimate life. He and I were both college graduates and bankers. We both had worked for some of the same banks and never met each other. So one day we're in this locker room together in Spavanagh, Oklahoma, and we just meet each other and something just clicked. and We became best friends. Well, Max gets signed to a contract with WWE. Jim Ross, a good friend of his family, gets him under developmental in Florida. Uh So I see him off the floor and I'm checking on him every day. And a lot of his friends that were – his friends backstage kind of forgot about Max when he left and he kind of felt abandoned by everybody, but me. So when he came back after an injury kind of ended his shot out there, he, he and I became even tighter than before. He got me a dark match at WWE, a tryout. They were going smack down, This is about 2009. And this is kind of where I call the dark period of my life, because this is where the dream died. Oh. <laughs> this dream that this kid in 2001 has, Uh He goes to his first tryout. Right, this is my first big break. I'm getting a shot. What you know? Who knows what what the shot's gonna be like? But I'm there. Right. Smackdown taping live from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm backstage. I show up right in time. I wear my they make you dress um, in a suit and tie backstage. You got to show up as your nicest clothes. The reason is they might need to use you as like a pretend agent backstage to get beat up.
0: Oh, okay. Nice. Okay. You gotta have
1: you gotta have that available. Bring your bag with your workout clothes in it. Right. Um, so I'm there, and they make you fill out a bunch of paperwork, and then they put you in this locker room, the size of a closet, with 15 other guys from around the area, whether it's Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, wherever. And you're all just sitting there, waiting for somebody to come knock on the door and tell you where to go and what to do. Just and they tell you don't take any pictures, don't get your phone out, just sit there. Okay. Oh wow. You're sitting there for hours. And you can tell they had just done a back-to-back night because everybody we ran into backstage is just in the worst possible mood. Everybody hates their life. Uh, <laughs> you'll never meet a bigger jerk than Dave Batista. I've heard uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, they come get us. They, so Jamie Noble, if you remember Jamie Noble? Is he's yeah. in charge of work, working us out? Said, so, "All right, take the take the dark match, guys. Go work them out. See who's any good." Was
0: he already an agent so backstage they take, by that
1: time? Yeah, I mean, at this point, he's transitioning off TV, and this is what they have for him. Okay. You know, he, but he doesn't want to be off TV. You can right. tell he wants yeah. to be in the show. Yeah. Um, but they don't have anything for him on the show anymore. This is what they have for him. So he hates his life. He doesn't want to be working <laughs> out with
0: us. Yeah.
1: So we're working out. He kind of leaves for a while, says, just keep working out, guys. Well, I'm in the WWF ring with 15 other guys. And some of the guys who've done this before, this is my first time, said, Oh, yeah, no, no. You, we need to be in here working out, bumping, doing stuff. If Vince McMahon walks by and sees his ring not being used, he gets mad. it's like, "Oh, really? Okay, okay. So I'm I'm running spots and I'm I'm trying taking back bumps, taking front bumps. And I go to the top to do a backflip mm-hmm. to see if I can land it. So I do a backflip and land it. I was like, "Oh, this is so cool! I'm in a wf ring, did a backflip, landed." Well, a few minutes later, Jamie Noble comes backstage from backstage running out and goes, "Which one of y'all is doing a moonsault out here?" I was like, "What? What?" Uh, technically, I didn't do a moonsault. I did a backflip, so I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> but I guess Batista was standing there, and I guess he got mad that we were doing backflips in the ring, and he went and got Jamie Noble and yelled at him. So Jamie Noble's was going to come yell at us. Of course, I deny having done any backflips, uh, <laughs> but it, but you can just tell everybody's hates their life. But about the only cool guys backstage were Undertaker, uh-huh. who's the only one that walked up and said hi to me. That's cool. And Teddy Teddy Long. Oh, uh, okay. Under, Undertaker walked up, though, and shook every person backstage hand, including us. So thank you guys for helping wow. us out tonight. We appreciate you. Coolest guy you'll ever meet. Uh, but he was about the only one. Everybody else was in a bad mood, hated their life. By the end of the night, it became very clear they weren't going to put me on TV. I wasn't big enough for them. You know, they they had a couple of six-foot guys. Right. Um, I, I ended up getting a spot as one of the Undertaker's druids and took his casket out and got to where the – the what we call the black condom over your head because you literally can't see anything out of that Uh they don't want any of your face even possibly problem is that you cut they cover you up with so many layers you can barely see like i was nervous about falling down going down that ramp because i could barely see in front of me
0: right off the edge of the Uh, stage there (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it was it was a
1: legitimate concern uh because i fought to be the first guy out you know i wanted to be at the front of the line um but that was the most dangerous spot to be because you can't follow the guy in front of you uh you just have to hope you're nailing that those steps um so i get backstage and i i you know and talking with my best friend max you know i, I kind of heard his story what was going on in, in florida and it wasn't any better developmental was a mess back then now i understand they've cleaned it up a lot since then but he was telling me he goes look man one day i'll have Dusty Rhodes over here telling me how great my drop kick is, and I need to do that in every match. And then the next week, Fit Finney will come in and tell me my drop kick is crap, and I should never do a drop kick again. He <laughs> goes, I just don't know what to do. Like, 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 there is no consistent message here. Yep. And he goes, Justin, every other day they're bringing in 10x ex- NFL players who look like Adonises and they're putting them under contract. He goes, you know, th- there's no spots out here to wrestle. Like, you know, he was getting his butt kicked by at the time you had guys like um, like Seamus and some of those other guys were in development with him. Yeah, and He goes, you know, they're just bringing in these monsters. And here we are, you know, just regular looking guys or have nowhere to go. And just there, there's there's almost 100 of us. I go, man, I'm dealing with a locker room full of 15 guys that I'm trying to fight, you know, at the dark show. Keeping in mind, WWF has 100 guys under contract in Florida. Uh-huh. That are probably never going to see tv on top of that you got guys like jamie noble who have been on tv have been stars and they're not getting a shot on on the you know they they would gladly go out there and do the the goofiest spot where they had to kiss a big fat guy's butt to to get on tv if they could
0: <laughs> right
1: and the dream and that's where i say the dream died you know because i i'm a realist i told you that from the beginning when i started back at wrestling i don't like just doing it i want to know how everything works i want to know what the odds are i want to know the analytics of everything I looked at the analytics in that moment i said i'm wasting my time doing this and uh within a year or two i i retired um, oh, wow and i spent six years retired <laughs> uh i didn't wrestle for six years i, I walked away wow yeah it, it was six it, it was years a, huh six years six years i um I, I used the time i started my my dj company and turn it into a thriving business, making lots of money and, and living a good, nice, comfortable life. Uh, so it worked out nicely, but around COVID time, I start getting the itch to pull out the old and look at what I used to do.
0: Uh
1: And, um, started thinking, all right, you know, I got a little, put a little weight on, I'm not in my wrestling shape. What if I got back into wrestling shape and maybe, maybe talk to one of the guys if I know anybody still around here, maybe do a spot somewhere, you know, come in and and just do something one more time, just one more time. Yeah, and so it gave me an incentive to put burn off that COVID weight. I started getting in really, really good shape, and I end up at at 38 years old in the best shape of my life. Like just abs I'd never seen before, and and muscles. And I go up and show up, and my my, my buddy Tim Rockwell, he was running a company called Wrestling for a Cause, and he gets me a spot. He goes, Hey man, why don't you just come out here and um uh, take a we'll, we'll make you a com- old old legend coming in to be a commissioner for one night great guy great. by the way Oh, he's he and I go back to 2003 uh-huh. I get I gave him some of his rookie matches um and I'd like to think I helped him develop immensely uh uh-huh. even though he had a, a wrestling pedigree in his family he came from a line of just wrestling promoters and guys so uh but he uh, his uncle Bernard Funk was one of the first in Oklahoma or one of the legends of Oklahoma so a lot of good guys there but yeah he, he gets me spot and I we end up doing a super kick spot and says, hey, man, why don't, you, why don't you turn this into a match? We'll we train for another month, too. We'll build it as Justin versus Tim one last time. So we do it, and a bunch of people showed up. It was a big event. I I, I pulled it off. I did great. Uh, I mean, I was blown up and all kinds of backstage stories from trying to learn how to wrestle again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after I did it, I, I was like, you know what? I could keep doing this, and I, I, haven't, uh, I haven't stopped. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it was only supposed to be one match, and here I am almost – Two and a half years later, and I'm uh, I'm still doing it. That's awesome. You know, it, it was always about just seeing that, you know, scratching that itch one more time. Right. Um, one of the things I found out about retirement, and this, this may be true for everybody, is you, you got to have a creative outlet of some kind. Uh-huh. Um, if you are a creative type person, you have to have an outlet of some kind you know, whether it's art or music or, or just, you know, you with a podcast, something yes. like, that. you know, something where you're contributing to to the, to the whatever. You, you feel that need. And, and what I found is that after six years of not wrestling, I, I had contributed, you know, by being a DJ and doing some, you know, b- being the entertainment for people's weddings and parties and being part of these great events. I was contributing, uh-huh. but I felt I wasn't contributing creatively like I wanted to be. And I looked at wrestling as an opportunity. The problem was that, wrestling had become kind of a joke of itself um when i first started wrestling the gatekeepers were very strict not very many people made it right uh you had to know somebody or be very very fortunate i was on that side of things i was just very very fortunate i was right place right time right guy and Mm -hmm. i i knew how to the promoter liked me i got um Kind of a backstory on that where I told you Rocco Val, you know he was the promoter. He was my mentor. Mm-hmm. Well, he owned a DJ business and he needed another DJ. Oh. He looked at me <laughs> as somebody who could, you know, with my look, go out and do middle school dances and high school dances, and you know do the stuff that he couldn't do uh, and connect with that crowd. And so he looked at me as a way for him to make more money. So he hired me there. and that worked out because to keep me happy, he keeps me winning matches and having good spots on the card and keeping me booked helps me out a little bit and plus he had a ton of knowledge to drop so uh, over the years i i I have all these mentors these people that teach me so many things my my brent albright i told you the guy that trained me Uh he is this this classic story of tragedy which is the wrestling business because brent albright he makes it he works his tail off he works harder than anybody else he outworks everybody has a dynamite body problem is brent wasn't the most charismatic guy. It's not that he didn't have any charisma, but if you put the mic in his hand and told him to, to, to riff for more than a minute, he couldn't give it to you. Okay. He could give you a couple of lines, you know, He's very Chris Benoit like in that regard. Okay. Uh, and so he finally gets signed. Cause everybody recognizes this kid is just super talented. Maybe we can work on this part. So he's up in OVW in Kentucky with the likes of CM Punk, Dave Batista, John Cena, Randy, you know, all these guys, Right. Um, and he he and CM Punk are tearing it up out there. They're having some of the best matches. Wrestling Illustrated is calling it the best matches you're never going to see. You know the, the they're nominated for match of the year, and they're not. You know nobody else is. You know they're on this small broadcast, and they're they're considered better than anything WWF and WCW put on that year. So CM Punk gets signed because he's obviously super charismatic. Put the mic in his hand, he's CM Punk. Exactly. <laughs> For two years, CM Punk keeps selling. Bring up Brent Albright. Bring me this guy. I, I Put me and him having these matches on TV. Give me this opportunity. you know. Uh, and so finally, they go to Brent and they say, look, we're going to pull you up. Do you have any ideas? And they pitched him doing a tag team angle where they're going to be kind of like a ripoff of the Legion of Doom and wear these black leather outfits and face paint and stuff. And luckily, that didn't happen. Uh, instead, they brought him in as a jobber to take on Booker T one night on SmackDown, and he gets the upset win over Booker T. Yeah. Uh, and a, Booker, you know, Booker was feuding with somebody, and that person, like, distracted Booker long enough for Brent to get the pin. Right. Um, but backstage, they have come up to him and say, hey, man, it's a good job you did tonight, you know? And they have this thing where they were going to make Benoit his mentor, and he was going to be the next Benoit. And this oh. is everything he ever wanted in life, right? they yeah. So they're, they're – He's doing a European tour. They got him on TV as Benoit's partner. Well, Benoit gets hurt, and so they're putting him in just singles matches, and he's kind of jobbing out. Um, kind of waiting for Benoit to come back. Well, when Benoit comes back. They need him to do a different angle, so they're kind of keeping Brent. Just he's on the show, but he's you know just not really getting any good TV time, any TV spots. Mm-hmm. Well, about this time, Benoit, as you may or may not know, <laughs> did something very bad, and yes. uh, and WWE didn't handle it right the first step of the way because mm-hmm. they thought something well anyway benoit, something, killed his yeah. benoit killed his wife and kid in case you're living in cave you didn't know benoit he had uh had too many concussions his brain was swiss cheese mm-hmm. he started going insane and yes. voices told him to kill his wife and kid so that he could go to heaven and then he kills his wife and kid and then kills himself uh-huh. Well, WWE, when all they were told was the bodies of these, so they thought maybe somebody snuck in and murdered the family, and so they did this big tribute to Benoit. Well, a week later, the police investigation comes out and goes, nope, he killed his wife and kid. So WWE quickly went into erase Benoit from the history books mode. And part of that meant... We got to cut Brent Albright because Mm. he was only on TV as Benoit's protege, and every time he's going to be on TV, you can't not mention Benoit. So... Yeah. He lost his contract. Uh, I mean, guy worked ten years to get that to that spot and lost it because of something somebody else did, not even himself. Uh, That's right. So he lands on his feet a little bit in the Ring of Honor. Uh-huh. He goes to Ring of Honor and starts putting on dynamite matches. They call it start calling him the shooter Brent Albright. When he was on TV, they called him Gunner Scott in WWE, but here they call him the Shooter Brent Albright. Uh-huh. He's getting over. NWA sees it nwa makes him the nwa world's heavyweight champion uh he, he's this big you know this guy that mentored me that taught me everything i know right uh unfortunately while he was there starts dealing with injuries gets addicted to the painkillers and yada 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 the history of wrestling right. uh he has to get out of the business to save his own life uh, and that's what he did and he's been retired ever since uh but one of the things the holy, i bring up this terrible tragedy you just talk about what it's like when somebody teaches you something in wrestling you have a responsibility to pass that on to the next generation or else you're going to get bad wrestling if you have bad wrestling it's because the, the previous gatekeepers didn't properly pass the knowledge down they didn't take care of get making sure the next generation was ready for this well as i came out of retirement i i have this friend brent crawford and he says hey man I, you know i got this he's a pastor he says i got wrestling up my church and we're, we're training guys. We're going to start a little promotion out here uh, to help raise money for our food ministry. You want to come be a part of this? I say, well, I'll come check it out. Sure. Well, I go up there and they don't have any trainers. It's just guys who don't really know what they're doing, showing other guys who don't know what they're doing, how to do everything incorrectly. Oh, no. And I look at Brent and I said, look, man, um, you want me to kind of maybe run this a little bit, organize this for you? Just, you know, maybe come in and run the classes next week. And so I start running it like a training class, and before you know it, I realize this is my calling in life to I'm a good trainer. Like you get better by training people, by the way. Um, yeah. It's it just it's it's one of those things in wrestling. You think you know how to do a wrestling move, but then you have to teach somebody else how to do that wrestling move. It makes you better at that move because now you you realize why we do it and you see what it looks like when somebody's doing it wrong, and you fix all those mistakes you were making. and it may, and you end up having to do it more and more times. So I go back to teaching these basics, these fundamentals, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Uh, and it helps it, you know, I'm doing it for a good cause.
0: Um, go ahead. Well, one thing I've noticed um, just from I've been following you on Instagram and stuff like that, and I know you put videos out there of how to do certain moves and things like that. You make it look very easy whenever you're doing <laughs> it. You're very fluid in your motions, and it, you make it – you break it down to where – even somebody like me can understand what you're trying to show them. And so that from somebody on the outside, that seems like it's something that you would need because like you said, they were teaching people how to do these moves wrong. Um, and that's how you get hurt. And so it's, Oh it's, yeah. You know, it's really nice <laughs> that there's somebody there that can teach these guys how to do that. Oh so, my gosh. I,
1: I, I sat in on so many training classes where, Somebody would do something terrible, and they're going to get their neck broken if they do it that way too many times. And I would watch a trainer go, good job, guy. I'd be like, no, that wasn't a good job. Don't tell him that. (laughs) Uh Tell him that was a bad job. But, you know, tell him never do it like that again. Uh, No, it's one of those weird things. Um, I I had – part of what made me successful, too, is I had a really great training partner, Uh Kenny Outcast Campbell. I mentioned him before. He was more talented than me, and I hated that. And it made me get better. And I saw every time they complimented him on something he did, I made sure to do it the exact way he did it, only trying to do it even better. And if I never had that in my life, if I had only trained with guys who were worse than me, so I knew I was the star, uh, I would have never gotten as sharp and as fluid as I got. But Kenny, Kenny was like water out there, man. He it was like that Bruce Lee be water. He he was so fluid in his moves. I I stole that from him. I it, you know, and pro wrestling is really it's not it, it's about looking tough and tight while being as loose as you can possibly be out there and actually going at a much slower of the pace than what your body thinks it should be going. Right. Um, it, wrestling is a lot slower than you might think. It feels like you're going a million miles an hour when you got 500 eyes on you. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's, you know, it's all about slow your heart rate down, slow your body down, transition to the next move, understand what it is you're trying to sell these people. Yeah. You know, a waistlock needs to look like a waist lock. Uh, uh, you know, a trip needs to look like a trip. It can't just be, oh, he touched him. So therefore he fell down, mm-hmm. right? It has to be believable. I always compare it to um, magicians and ventriloquists. It's not that you think the dummy is real, but a good ventriloquist makes you kind of forget for a second that the dummy's not
0: real. Yeah, yeah.
1: Or the magician, you know, you know, there's not a real thing as magic, but if he does this trick right and the presentation's right, you kind of forget for a second. You kind of get sucked into it for a second. And that's what good wrestling looks like it you kind of make people forget for that split second we suspend the disbelief and part of that is like i said you gotta you can't move too fast like our instinct sometimes is when we're training and learning a new move is i'm gonna look really intense doing this so i'm gonna go really fast and really hard when really it's the exact opposite of what you want to do you want to slow it down and be really loose out there and make it it makes it more believable
0: coming from my point of view you would think your body goes into panic mode. And so you try to hurry up and get to where you yes. need to be. And you, I'm guessing you have to train guys to not be that way.
1: Oh, and to breathe. You would be surprised. how uh, yeah. many <laughs> guys try to go five minutes without breathing. Just hold, you know, the- you're just <laughs> hold, holding your breath the whole time. It, it's just this thing. Like I can think better if I'm not worrying about breathing, you know? Right? And, yeah. and my trick on that was I was through gum in my mouth. Cause okay. gum makes you kind of open your mouth. Um, And so it kind of keeps your your body doing something other than wrestling. So -hmm. it helps you kind of keep everything balanced a little bit. Yeah. You know, training people is um, I I try to make them focus on the basics and the fundamentals, because again, you don't have to know all the moves. If you know how to sell and be in character and take good bumps, that's all you got to know how to do matches can be three or four moves. And if you're telling a story with each and every step of the way, then it's going to be great.
0: Yeah. So, do you have a favorite guy that you love to work with?
1: To work with? Well, Tim and I, like I said, we've been working together so long, and we're kind of from that same ilk. Yeah. Tim Rockwell, the villain, yeah. Tim the Rockwell, villain, natural born villain. <laughs> look him up. Uh, look him up on Facebook. Uh, um, he's my son has a picture of him on his Rockwell. wall. There you go. There you go. No, <laughs> he's one of my favorite all time. Like I so said, we came up the same. Group. Now it's weird because Tim and I were so old school and Uh we were always opponents for each other, we never developed a close friendship out of the ring because we were so kayfabe that we refused to be seen eating together, hanging out together, you know, outside of, if there wasn't a ring there, we didn't want fans to ever see us together. Yeah. Um, And so it's weird because, you know, you don't see that as much, you know, that's just an old school mentality is, Bad guys don't hang out with the good guys. Good guys don't hang out with the bad guys. Bad guys don't sell t-shirts. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just, that's an old school mentality.
0: Yeah. I mean, because I'm sure they make plenty of good money on those visa up shirts.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he's <laughs> Tim's Tim's kind of a different story because everybody knows he owns the, you know, fighting kids, cancer charity organization. Right. Yeah. So it's like, even when he's a bad guy, everybody loves him because exactly. we all deep down know what he's, he's a good guy. You right. um, you know, I've, I've been, I started my first five years of my career, three years as a bad guy. And then I've been a baby face, vanilla, good guy ever since. Okay. Um, I,
0: I know that the sorry. one time that I saw you, uh, wrestle, it was in, in Bentonville at the, mm-hmm. uh, Benton County fairgrounds and everything. Oh, God. And those kids, it was funny because <laughs> I had a whole slew of them. They're sitting next to me. I don't know why they were calling you this, but they called you Arkansas the whole time. I, I don't know if it's because you had, had us called the hogs i
1: think it's because i i called the hogs i think yeah, that might have uh, something
0: to do with it but they were just sitting there especially in your second match that you had that night and they were just yeah, there yeah. screaming come on arkansas so
1: yeah i think they wanted me to call the hogs again probably uh, so <laughs> you know what and you know what that is that, again it gets back to my of wrestling Uh huh. it's it's never about the moves it's one thing i tell my students over there. it's not about the moves it's about the moments and i always refer back to the dudley boys Mm-hmm. what's the one thing everybody thinks about when they think about the Dudley boys? Get the tables. Devon, get the tables, right? Yeah. That was a moment everybody in the arena got to be part of the match. Right. We'd seen the guy go through the table. That wasn't the exciting part. The yeah. exciting part was getting to yell get that out loud. We, we all said it together. <laughs> think about the road dog, you know, when he would say, ladies and yeah. gentlemen, boys, you know, yeah. and he would do the whole spiel and everybody would try to do it with him. Right. Where the rock says you know <laughs> millions and millions you know, millions and millions
0: <laughs> exactly right
1: the whole point is they want that that interactive moment and the dudley's figured that out well for me when i come to arkansas i've been to enough concerts in arkansas that i said man these people love to call the hogs no yeah. matter what they're doing no matter how inappropriate it might be <laughs> you know no matter how much they confuse the guy on stage who has no idea what they're doing yeah. they love to call the hogs i said I already do this triple drop kick thing where I do one, and I call. You guys want two? You want three? I was like, why don't I just turn that into the call the hogs drop kick, and make a moment. <laughs> it's genius. I tried it out the first time in Fayetteville. Uh-huh. It took the crowd all of one hog call to figure out what was happening. By the third hog call, they were losing their minds. <laughs> and I've done it every match I've ever done in Arkansas since.
0: Oh, man, that's genius. That's that's great. I mean, it's and it's funny. It's the small things that uh, people actually latch on to.
1: It it is. And, you know, that's how you keep a longevity career going. Um, You know, there's a famous story Hulk Hogan talks about, you know, he did Rocky III before he was really famous. Uh And in Rocky III, he does that leg drop. Now, he didn't really do the leg drop that often. That wasn't, like, his move. Mm -hmm. But he did it for TV or for the movie because they wanted, you know, a big move. Well, after he did that, everybody made him do that as his finisher because, oh, it's the Rocky III move, right? He's got to drop the leg. Well, the problem was – it really hurts, especially those old rings. Those old rings were as solid as could be. Well, you're and just so you're literally your spine. Yeah, you're, you're landing butt first with with 300 pounds of muscle going mm-hmm. right spine first to the ground. Well, by the time Hogan was into the, the, the early 2000s, he had has his spinal cord or uh, discs fused four times. Mm-hmm. And every time he did that, he lost an inch of height. Oh, uh, wow. And so you can literally look at the, there's this, there's, if you look at the picture of, him and Andre at WrestleMania Uh three and then Hogan and Andre statue from a few years ago. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now the Andre statue is actual size and Hogan looks significantly smaller from the one pitch to the next. And the reason was he lost four inches of height uh, from doing that one move. And Hogan's, you know, he says to this day, his biggest regret is he goes, I had the largest arms in the world. Why was I not doing the full Nelson as my finisher? Right. If I had done the full Nelson as my finisher, it would have been more theatrical mm-hmm. and I, could, I wouldn't have needed all these spinal surgeries. I could have wrestled for another 10 years. Yeah. And so one of the things I look at as I get older is I have to change my style. I've gotten you know, if you were, you were at the Bentonville show, you saw, mm-hmm. I did a backflip and broke my nose. Mm-hmm. Um, I hit my nose straight down on the back of the guy's skull and shattered my nose in six places um I had to have a reconstructive surgery on my face first time i'd ever broken anything in 20 years of wrestling
0: how are you doing by uh, the way
1: uh I'm, I'm i'm very close to being back um if my nose is crooked for the rest of my life uh, okay my right nostril is more enlarged than my left um it hurts a little bit if when you touch it but it, it's healing um mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna wrestle uh I'm, I'm not ready to quit uh my wife and i talked about it you know we, there was talk of quitting but um no, I, I feel I'm, I'm in a good spot right now. I, I I know how to adjust my style. You know things like the Arkansas dropkick. Yeah. Uh, you know you can do that instead of the the moon salt. You don't need to flips off the ropes every time or dive to the outside. If you right. can get just as over and get as much crowd response, then there's no need to do that stuff. Right. Uh, and that's one of those lessons you got to learn. Just you you can tell that to a young guy over and over again, and they'll never believe you. Why? Because I want to be the most exciting match on the card. Well the most exciting match is the one that gets the biggest reaction. Mm. You're just trying to make the guys in the back excited, <laughs> you know, Yeah. <laughs> and that, that, and we talk about that. You're wrestling for the wrong side of the curtain. We call yeah. that, you know, you, you, sh- you're trying to sell tickets on the wrong side. They ain't buying tickets on that side of the curtain. Right. They're buying tickets on this side where they want you to make them feel like they're part of the show. Yeah. The interaction and all that stuff. And so that's something I'm kind of learning as, as, as I'm adjusting my style to be of, you know, I haven't quite turned 40 yet, but I turned 40, within the next year and i you know been doing this since 2001 going on 21 years now i'm doing this um yeah it's crazy to say it out loud
0: yeah i (laughs) (laughs) so i since you said that you actually do work with a lot of the younger guys and stuff is there something that you wish that somebody would have told you that you could possibly tell them for somebody who's just starting out
1: well, again, it, you know, it's changed so much. Right. Um, the business is always in an evolution of itself. Uh-huh. So, if if this social media and this opportunity to reach out to millions of people within an hour mm-hmm. had existed when I was in wrestling in two thousand one, two thousand two, I would have been a ten times bigger star. I know it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, it, it but again, you've got to you've got to represent yourself, and I always try to explain people brand you don't want you know you might get one you never know when that win opportunity is going to be where that one time you're going to be seen is that one time you're going to get to to your match is going to go viral or whatever it might be Mm -hmm. you don't want that one time to be you wrestling in a dirt pit in front of 12 people why because that that makes you look cheap makes your brand look cheap yeah and so i was explaining to these guys you know if you're going to go wrestle just because you need you want you got the bug and you got to go wrestle everywhere if the show looks like garbage put a mask on don't 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 waste your one opportunity in life being at a garbage show um you know again like i said it's just it's a matter of you might meet the love of your life but if you just you know hadn't showered in five days and (laughs) smelled like 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 yeah like a bowl and armpit yeah yeah, and, and uh hadn't shaved and you're you're all sloppy and you got you know food stains on your shirt you might blow that one opportunity whereas if you had Put a little effort in it, you know what I mean? It's kind of you got to have that mentality. You never know. Right. Um a lot of it is too, it's 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 not that different than dating, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh I, I here's what here's what I mean by that. Within 10 seconds of you coming through that curtain, the crowd is gonna make a decision about you.
0: Mm-hmm. Well,
1: they always used to say when you walk into a club and you see that those girls looking at you when you walk in, within 10 seconds, they decide whether you got a chance to go home with them tonight or not. It's that same mentality you got to have. What are you going to do to stand out? You don't got seven minutes to make them a fan. You got 10 seconds to make them a fan. Tell your story within the first 10 seconds. It means every step you take, every breath you take, you know, whatever sting lyrics you want to quote here, (laughs) uh, you know, what you're wearing to how you present yourself to how you walk. Everything has to be telling your story. Every word coming out of your mouth needs to be telling your story. So we're not just out there doing moves, we're telling a story. Mm-hmm. And if what you're doing looks cool, but doesn't tell a story, don't do it. It has to tell a story. And that's, that's the one thing I, 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 I preach over and over and over again to my students is, you know, they'll do these practice matches and I'll, I'll stop them in the middle of it. I'll be like, guys, I haven't seen anybody tell me that they're a bad guy or a good guy to this point. You guys are just doing wrestling moves. It's like, this ain't the Olympics, you know? We're not here to see wrestling moves. We're here to, you know, I paid 10 bucks to to see a good guy beat up a bad guy. <laughs> it, you know, you know?
0: I, I've noticed that that happens a lot now, even on television. Yeah, uh, They don't have the bad guy moves anymore, like, you know, gouge in the eye, like, uh, or, you know, stomp on their foot. You don't see those things as much anymore. It's just it's one punch after another. Punch. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, in the business we call that, you know, I might be giving away too much here, but we call that, (laughs) you got, your match is is scripted. Uh Every match is scripted. And in that there's the same script for every wrestling match you you should ever see. And that's the baby face shines. The good guy shines at the beginning. Mm -hmm. The bad guy cuts him off, does something dastardly. Mm -hmm. We puts what we call the heat on him. The heat makes up most of the match. Mm -hmm. It's just the bad guy getting, getting the better of the good guy over and over again until the good guy finally makes his comeback. Right. the crowd's been waiting for it they've been waiting for it it's like i was uh i was using the analogy of star wars when i'm telling i was like nobody wants to see a movie where luke skywalker goes to the death star and kills darth vader first chance he gets right right there's no movie there that's no. not exciting exactly. what we want to see is him go there fail every way Obi wan gets killed he runs and retreats tries again three movies later finally gets the job done right you know yep. that's that's what you want to see the good guy they have to see the good guy struggle and fail and fail again and fail again so that they want him to succeed. So that when he finally wins the big one, it means something. And that's what a wrestling match is. It's not, it's the bad guy beating up the good guy and the good guy, never giving up, always fighting back, always getting back to his feet, never, never just laying down and taking it. He's always trying to get back up and you make the crowd want to get behind you when you do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and and that's really what wrestling is it's just people want to people want to see themselves in you right they want to see that good guy being them they want to relate to that and it's not hard to do if you do it right
0: yeah i mean one of my all-time favorites is uh is Shawn michaels and you know Mm -hmm. they said that he could have a good match with the broomstick and it's because he knew how to tell a story even with his body
1: and you want to know why Shawn michaels was so good and this is one of the things I i coach my students on okay when you get to the back there's usually a monitor that's showing the matches yeah most guys will just go put their own match together hang out chill out with their buddies and then go you know very rarely do you see them watching matches on the monitor mm-hmm. Shawn Michaels when he was a rocker in the 80s as a tag team in the WWF
0: mm-hmm.
1: he would plant himself in what we call the gorilla position which is the per the, the spot right next to the curtain
0: right
1: when you come back from your match you got a couple of agents who will sit there and these are usually ex you know retired wrestlers Uh, gorilla monsoon it's why they call it the gorilla position it was one of the big ones there
0: yeah
1: and those guys will then rip you a new one tell you everything you did wrong in your match everything you did right in your match Uh sean would sit there and watch all the matches and watch when they came back through and listen to every word the agent said on every match all night long and so whereas a lot of the guys couldn't wait to get their gear out get to the bar and you know go party right sean stayed for the entire show watch so it's like every night he was getting eight or nine matches worth of education on what not to do what to do yeah. so when his opportunity came he was sharper than everybody else because he had absorbed all that knowledge of watching people screw up and not repeating their mistakes yeah. Yeah. in the ring that's why Sean got so good that's smart
0: yeah I, you know if if more people did that I think we'd have uh some pretty awesome stuff <laughs> well, and the
1: shows would be better because yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've seen guys. Hey, man, that's the same cutoff they did in the same three matches before you. Could you not come up with another cutoff? Right. Well, they didn't know because they didn't watch the three matches before them. Yep. Or, hey, man, you guys, that was their finish. You just did their same finish that they did. You know, it. if we're all trying to make a good show top to bottom, not just care about our own matches, we have to be all on the same page we can't just be repeating what everyone else is doing and that's unfortunately something you see just a lot of now a lot of guys doing the same moves doing the same spots mm-hmm. and not even understanding the psychology of their spots sometimes you know like i said if i do a move i explain to my students okay if this were a real fight here is what we are trying to simulate mm-hmm. and it has to look something like a real fight Obviously it's got to be theatrical because we're doing it for a crowd and they have to be able to see us in the back versus UFC where the moves are quick and subtle. Right. But It has to be believably theatrical. If yes. you can, if that makes any sense.
0: It does. So with talking about this, do you have a favorite match of your own uh, that kind of sticks out to you?
1: Um, You know that it's, it's hard to say because, you know, Again, it's not about the matches; it's about the stories I've right. told, and I I love the stories I told with Tim. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, since my comeback, I've had some decent little matches. Um, my, my match with Thrash, my match with Calyan uh Cal, I call him Ex Cal. Uh, Nayati <laughs> is is his uh, the Indian name. The, the one I, he's the guy wrested around one at the Benton County. Yes, I thought that was a, one of my best matches since I came back out of retirement. Oh yeah, um, I, my, my I... first what. <clears throat>
0: Oh, I actually got a pretty cool video of whenever you were uh, laid out, and uh, he did the moonsault, or not the moonsault, it's oh, a shooting, shooting star. star, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah right yeah. into the foot. I got a good video of that. That was a really good oh, match.
1: Off to see that. Yeah, yeah he, that was uh, something we kind of made up on the on. The, we never practiced it. He okay. I just said, "Hey man, I'm put the boot up. Uh, try to try to land face first on it." All and right. Just kid, super talented. He just did it, uh, and I remember backstage, everybody. That was the one that we went backstage to go. I've never seen that before. That was amazing. <laughs> uh, did you guys practice that? We're like, nope. <laughs> but see, uh, it, the little background on him. Remember, I told you I started a backyard wrestling league in the nineties. Uh-huh. He he was in it. Oh, really? <laughs> We've actually known each other for twenty some, twenty five years, twenty six years. That's uh, really cool. And we had never once had a match with each other. Wow. Well, that moment, uh, it was weird. Yeah, we'd we'd uh, we'd known each other for a quarter century and never wrestled each other till that moment. Okay. uh but it was it was good that was a good match there's there's some that stand out you know over my lifetime ones I'm proud of stories I've told um athletically speaking like I said the stuff I did early in my career I thought was really innovative and fun um but like I said that some of the matches I've had since I've come back have been great for a long time Max and I did a little tag team gimmick we called ourselves we we constantly changed our name we were first we were Bad Bromance. And then we were the Legion of Bromance. Then we were the Bromance Express. We we just kept ripping off other tag teams and looking like a black and white version of those teams. So it was a, uh, it was we had some great little tag team matches, and that was that was some of the most fun I ever had in wrestling. Was uh, doing the tag team stuff, and it's a lost start, honestly. Uh, if I, if guys were smart today, they would do tag teams because everywhere you go needs tag teams. They don't need a but you know everywhere you go, the good guys and the bad guys are kind of established the you've got your baby faces and you got your heels everywhere you go they're not really looking for those guys um but what they are looking for is tag teams everybody everywhere you go needs tag teams uh so it's a good way to get your foot in the business is having a good time plus it it makes you smarter about the business understanding how to do both
0: right okay well um i've just got a little bit more that i wanted to talk about here right before i uh finish Sure, sure um So do you have any big things that are coming up in the future that you wanted to talk?
1: Yes, I'm so glad you asked. May 21st, (laughs) coming back to Arkansas, Siloam Springs, and this is it. This is the finals of that tournament that I broke my nose in the semifinals. Didn't know if I was going to get medically cleared to come back. I literally reached medical clearance the week before this match, May 14th, I am medically cleared to get back in the ring again. May 21st is the first match back. Um, So excited to do it. Uh, We're going back to Siloam Springs, Arkansas. Had a great crowd last time we were there. It, it's going to be even better this time. Uh, so excited to do it. I'm wrestling this kid, Blue Bolt, young kid, good kid. I've never wrestled him before, but I think this is going to be a great match. We, we plan to tear the house down, give give you everything I got. Uh, it's exciting because, you know, I, I it's never been about championships for me, um, but it is prestigious. I, I can't say it's not, you know, in wrestling, it's different. You know, you're not really winning a championship, but a championship does mean somebody's putting faith in you. They think you've, right. you're you a big enough star to, to, they want their brand associated with you. Uh, and so in that regards, you know, if, if I win the championship, it's going to be a big deal or even to compete for a championship, right? Yeah. Just to be part of a poster or a main event, it, it means a lot to me, especially at this point in my career when, when I'm, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to be a WWF star one day. I'm not going to be an AEW star. Well, I'd say that, who knows? You never know, uh, you know, <laughs> never I, I do know. It's, Never say never. Um, But I I don't – those things aren't in my horizon. So this, for me, feels like a very big deal. Plus, you know, getting to go to Arkansas, it's just a – it's such a great state to wrestle in that's been hungry for good wrestling for so long Mm -hmm. that we've been – that uh, Crown Championship Wrestling, crownprotickets.com. Chris Allred, the promoter, he is – I'm telling you, man, he gets you excited to want to work for him. Oh, yeah. Uh, And then I also have, coming up uh, later in the month, I'm going to wrestle – return make my Oklahoma return May 28th uh, wrestling for cause fan data fans pick the matches oh sweet Uh, and then the week after that I'm going down to Illinois Illinois. to the Metropolis Superman celebration good old Jerry Lawler brings wrestling out there and I'm gonna be part of that card I've done it once before it's an it's a fun it's it's Comic-Con meets wrestling meets small town festival the Metropolis Superman celebration it's awesome Okay. uh yeah then a, just a whole summer of wrestling you know i got uh wfc and crown pretty much to, every, to every month if you guys follow me on justinrules.com same website i've had since 2001 one of the oldest websites <laughs> on the internet as far as i know uh Still on Dial-Up? <laughs> it, it was built on dial i you know I, I built it on the old GeoCities, you know and uh i've updated wow. it since obviously yeah. um w- Wix and whatnot uh yeah, it's the same website I've had for for 25 years now, or 22 years I guess. And yeah, we we've been uh you can go there and it's got links to my Instagram, my my Facebook page, Broken Arrow Bad Boy, or Unbreakable Justin Lee. I'm, I'm known by both names. Okay. Um and it like i said, I'm really excited to get to get to make my last and final contributions to the world of indie wrestling before I hand the keys over to the next generation.
0: Yeah. Well, and uh you also uh have a bunch of your matches on YouTube as well, don't you?
1: YouTube, Facebook. Yeah. It's funny. I've been trying to get some of that back catalog updated, but yeah, you can go YouTube slash broken arrow, bad YouTube.com slash broken arrow, bad boy. I believe. Um, uh, yeah, you go there and it's got a bunch of my old matches. Forgive the video quality. In some cases, this is when we used to film things on a potato, uh, they hey, have found, these nice fancy high def cams.
0: <laughs> hey, I found some pretty good stuff on there today. <laughs> oh, I did you? Lunch. oh, oh yeah. I went and looked, uh, watched some of your matches on there and uh, found some pretty oh. good stuff.
1: I've been doing it for a long time, man. I'll tell you, it's funny. You know, you, you look back at 20 years of doing the same thing over and over again. You know, you, you forget. It's like a time capsule in some cases. You know, you look at the the way the audience looks, the way you look, the way mm-hmm. the stories. You know, backstage, I remember who was there, what was going on. You know, I remember I was a teenage heartthrob, and now I'm an, Now I, you know, it's funny. My my friend Ray, he's a promoter. I'm doing this this Cinco de Mayo festival lucha thing coming up, uh-huh. and uh, he says, Justin, I put you out there for the moms now. Yes, <laughs> we go out, there. and it's just funny. I, I've made the full circle from. I was out there for the to keep the teenage girls screaming, and now I'm here for the moms. There you go. To, uh, to go, ooh, we like him, right? You know, so <laughs> turn well, the page,
0: like you said, come full circle. <laughs> 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 All right, I've just got one yeah. more thing. Uh, do you sure, have sure. Uh, a, a special message or anything you would like to give your fans?
1: Well, you know, I always say this: the the unbreakable gimmick that I use. Um, it, it, it's about. I'm never going to ever tell anybody to never chase their dream, no matter how unrealistic it might be. Cause there are people who told me that I'd never be a wrestler and look where I'm at today. You know, anybody can achieve a dream, but that doesn't mean you can just get there on unicorn glitter uh, and, and right. high hopes, you know, if you're willing to put in the work, anything is possible. You know, like I said, I will never, anybody that comes into my wrestling training and, you know, no matter if I look at them and they're 500 pounds and not a spit, spit of athleticism, I will never tell them no because it is not my place to ever tell somebody their dream is out of reach for them uh be unbreakable right even if if nobody else believes in you believe in yourself because that that will carry you through those dark moments and you got to go through those dark moments right it's the hard times that make for the good times and if you don't know sacrifice and suffering you'll never know the true like good feeling when you're sitting there on the, your face is on the poster. They're asking to put title belts on you. If you never went through those hard times where where nobody did believe in you and nobody wanted to book you, you'll never you'll never fully appreciate the other side of that. So yeah, be unbreakable, man. Don't let anybody tell you what you can't do except you.
0: All right, man. Hey, it's uh, it's been great having you on here, and I hope that maybe I can get you to come back on here in the future too. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. We we didn't even get into all the good stories. Oh no, I'll we tell got you, man. Uh, I know. We got plenty yeah, of stuff next here. time. I'll, next time I'll tell you some, some good road stories, some backstage stories and some, uh, some things that might be a little PG 13 in some cases. Hey, that works just <laughs> fine.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, man, it was great talking to you.
1: Appreciate it. Justinrules.com, Everybody. All right. Hey, this is Eric and this is Bill. And this is Jim. We are. Oh, no, not them. If you're into pop culture, music, pro wrestling, anything fun, and you want to listen to three old friends just talking off the cuff, completely unscripted, unplanned, anywhere you find podcasts, you can find us. Oh, no, not them. Give us a listen. Give us a follow.
0: All right, everybody. I hope that you enjoyed that episode with the unbreakable Justin Lee. Like I said before, I look forward to having him back on the show again. This was a lot of fun to do. Um... I've got a few other people lined up next week. I will have on Glenn Ralph. He was a announcer in WWE in the nineties. So that should be a pretty interesting interview that I'll have coming up next week. I'm very excited about it. I'm very excited to talk to this guy. He seems like he's got once again, a lot of stories and I love to have people on that have a ton of stories. So if you guys just keep following me, you know, just keep listening. I look forward to doing these shows every week. I love doing this. I think that I found something that I can actually call my own. And it just, it's amazing to have this. And I am so thankful for it. Um, if you guys would like to hear something different, if you would like me to ask some of these people questions, send me an email at giveadatapodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. Tell me, you know, if you have any concerns or anything, just let me know what you guys think. Um, also, if you want to follow me on my socials, you can follow me on Facebook, and that's I-Y-G-A-D-A-P. On Facebook, IGADAP if you want to call it. Uh, it's just the acronym for If You Give a data Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at Give a Podcast. You can also find me on Snapchat at Give a Dad Podcast. You can now find me on Twitter. I'm starting to get on there. It's been a lot of fun. I've made a lot of new contacts on there. It's another way for you all to keep up with me, and that's Dad Podcast 1-1 that is my Twitter handle so you guys hit me up Um, tell me what you like tell me what you don't Um, I do this not only for me but I do it for the people that love to hear this stuff so if uh, like I said if you wanna hear something different let me know so I've got that show coming up next week with uh, Lynn Ralph and then the week after that I have toxic masculinity the Johnny's And that is Johnny Lightning and Johnny Dynamite that are going to be on my show. Um, They're also going to be at that crown championship uh, wrestling show that I'll be going to here at the end of the month. Let me know what you guys think. So, we've now come to the end of this show. Um, I love you guys. And I hope to see you next time. Have a wonderful day. See ya. enjoyed our show come back next week come on guys you know you want to come back
1: might get some laughs get back in your car go <laughs> get out of here you can't be here